So our gospel lesson and sermon text is from Luke 10, 25 through 37. And let me just remind you, this is God's words to us and it's given to us because he loves us. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would bless the reading and now the preaching of your word, that you would speak to us because yours is the voice that we need to hear above all others, the voice of love calling out to us. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me a second. So I've been slowly making my way through a book by Greg Thompson and Duke Kwan uh, called Reparations, uh, slowly because I'm a slow reader. I don't have a voracious appetite for reading, not quite like Jameson does, and also because it's heavy material. Uh, it's a bit hard to read in a lot of ways, not because it's hard to understand, just difficult to digest. And they share this story that I wanted to share with you today uh, of a young man named Levi Coffin. And they say when uh, they recount how when Levi Coffin was seven years old playing by the roadside in rural North Carolina, he witnessed a chain gang of men by the roadside uh, trudging down the road with a man on a horse with a long whip driving them along. And Levi's father joined his son by the road and asked the men, why are you chained? And one of them answered with this, quote, they have taken us away from our wives and children, and they chain us lest we should make our escape and go back to them. Levi naturally felt a lot of things as a seven-year-old witnessing this on that day. He had a lot of que questions 
that he asked his father, but one thing in particular he recounts later in life lingered in his soul unresolved. How terribly, how terribly we should feel if father were taken away from us. And that thought would never leave Levi Coffin. He would go on to settle in 1826 in Newport, Indiana, along with his wife, Catherine, and their infant son, Jesse. And Levi would soon discover that where they chose to live was right on a line of the Underground Railroad. In one of his autobiographies, the editor introduced Levi Coffin as none other than the Good Samaritan of hunted flesh and blood, with skin not colored like his own, under whose roof were sheltered over 3,000 fugitive slaves. 3,000 instances of risk and cost to Coffin's own life, to the lives of his wife and his children. And why would he do this? Mind you, Coffin was a white businessman, and he aided slaves in their pursuit of freedom to the north, not from personal guilt. He didn't do it motivated by guilt, guilt as he nor his parents, nor his grandparents had ever owned a single slave. Coffin did so, as the writers of this book say, quote, simple yet profound response to the Bible's call to love your neighbor as yourself. And so love he did, extending compassion to countless neighbors who had fallen among thieves on the Jericho Road's of antebellum America. So we just read that original Good Samaritan story, one that most of us know or at least familiar with. It's ingrained into popular culture such that we use the term Good Samaritan even if we don't even know what the original story refers to. The one, the story that abolitionists of the 18th and 19th centuries routinely went to to encapsulate the justification of their work to seek to end the slave trade. In our passage, a lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him back, what do you think? How do you read it? And the lawyer gives a good answer. He combines the Shema of Deuteronomy and the command to love and Leviticus as a summary of the entire Law, But the lawyer couldn't just leave well enough, well enough alone, could he? It's like he got the right answer and he should have quit while he was ahead, but he just couldn't leave it at that. And he says in verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You see, the lawyer wants eternal life. That was his first question. And by eternal life, what he means is, understanding what that meant in the Jewish scriptures, what he means is he wants all of it, the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle. Eternal life is entering into God's kingdom. Eternal life means shalom. It means flourishing. It means blessing. 
Eternal life means dwelling and abiding in God's presence as we were all meant to be. When he says, how do I get eternal life? He means all of it, the whole thing. So if that's the question, then the stakes are understandably high. So he thinks to himself, let's, let's make this manageable. All right, let's make this manageable. So he says, okay, who is my neighbor? And in telling the lawyer the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is showing the lawyer that the question he is asking is not actually, how can I inherit eternal life? What the lawyer is really asking is, how can I earn eternal life? And not just earn it, but earn it on my terms. And Jesus' answer to that question is, not a thing. Not a thing. There is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. Well, how so? Well, to answer that question, that this is Jesus' response, or I think this is Jesus' response, and by telling the lawyer the Good Samaritan, is by asking the question, well, who is the lawyer supposed to identify with in the parable? Who is the lawyer supposed to identify with in the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, the lawyer is only meant to identify with the priest and the Levite who cold hardly pass by the neighbor in distress only on a tertiary level. Yes, there, are, there is some self-reflection to be done in thinking about the responses of the priest and Levite, but I would say that the identification with those characters is only tertiary at best. But the lawyer is also not meant to identify primarily with the Good Samaritan either. And why would I say that? Well, in verse 33, when it says the Samaritan saw his injured neighbor, it says he had compassion for him. That Greek word compassion is used only six times in the gospel. In our passage today, In the parable of the prodigal son, when the father sees the prodigal son off in the distance, it says that he felt compassion on him. And the other four times are all used exclusively to describe how Jesus felt at various times in his ministry when he looked upon people in pain, in distress, in heartache. Do you get what's going on here? The only person who identifies with the Good Samaritan in the story is Jesus. So who's left? If it's not the super religious guys and it's not the Good Samaritan, who's left in the story? The man left for dead lying in a ditch. Because when it comes to what must we do to be saved, to inherit eternal life, to be forgiven, to be restored from our broken, beaten up, robbed by our sin and rebellion to the glory for which we were created for and exposed in our frail and sinful humanity, the answer is nothing. Because we are left for dead. The only thing we can do is surrender and open ourselves to the one who has compassion for us to the one whose guts are torn up inside when he looks upon us and our brokenness and our sin. This parable is here to show us that what 
what it is that we need to have life. And what we need is Jesus. That's the answer to the lawyer's true question. You cannot have it on your terms. You cannot control it. You cannot manipulate it. You can only acknowledge your need for it and your inability to secure it outside of the only one who can give it to you, the one who created you in love for love. But it's not merely a story answering the lawyer's questions about how can I be saved? It is more than that, too. Because Jesus does conclude this interaction with the lawyer by saying what? You go and do likewise. Remember what I said was the main thing that stuck with Levi Coffin as a seven-year-old boy and would stick with him the rest of his life? How would I feel if someone came and took father away from us. That question led Levi Coffin to read the parable of the Good Samaritan and conclude that what Jesus is saying in the parable of the Good Samaritan is that in God's kingdom, in God's economy, every human being is valuable and we are called to help even those we despise, even those we don't get along with, even those we normally would go out of our way to try and avoid because we are all created in the image of God equally. Because our common salvation is to be in communion with the God who loves us with a radical compassion, to be in his body, therefore the essence of our lifeblood being that connection to the God who made us in his image unavoidably makes us all interconnected to one another. If one of us lays in a ditch, bloodied, broken, robbed, left for dead, then we all lay in the ditch with him. What would happen if someone stole my life from me? The lawyer gave the right answer. Jesus acknowledges it to be so, but he had no clue what it actually meant. That salvation lies in embracing this paradox, in reaching out towards the extremes of three seemingly contradictions, that the best way to love ourselves is to love our neighbors, but we cannot love others unless we love ourselves and we cannot love ourselves or our neighbors if we do not love God with everything that is our being and somehow loving others and therefore loving ourselves is in essence actually loving God who said that whatever you do to the least of these my brothers and sisters you do it unto me. We have this undeniably difficult task. I mean, I understand why the lawyer wanted to hedge the question. Because it is a difficult task to see all around us our common humanity and our common need for compassion and care and healing, our common humanity that is so beat up and left for dead. And on top of it all, we try to desperately tell ourselves that we are okay 
and that we don't need anybody else to be okay. This is so terribly difficult, but don't you see, it's also so exciting. It's invigorating because somehow in seeing others as Jesus sees them, somehow in binding up each other's wounds and caring for one another, Jesus is saying that in that process, in those actions, in that ministry, we are actually being saved. We are being saved with every act of mercy and compassion and kindness. We are actually experiencing what it means to have eternal life. So how do you inherit it? How do you gain this blessing? Jesus says, go, you go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you.